0: Welcome to the next track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams, and I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the next track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit Patreon.com/slash The Next Track, and thanks. We're going to talk about CDs again, again. And just to, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about it again. Let me bring everybody up to date. In July, we recorded a a show about CDs because we were just sitting around talking and we thought, oh, we'll just record that and we'll save it and put it on a shelf. And when we want to take a break in August, we'll just run that episode because it was fairly timeless. So when we did decide to to release it uh, a few weeks ago, I added a a little epilogue to it, which was essentially, gee, all this talk about CDs has kind of got me hyped up for CDs again. So I bought a new CD player and a, a new receiver to to work with the digital output from it, and I'm very happy with it.
1: So that was an expensive episode.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it kind of was. I hope I don't have to buy a refrigerator or a dishwasher (laughs) after this one. So anyway, I wanted to talk more about the sensations I'm having from now having to think about CDs rather than the past 20 years where I've been relying on file downloads or file rips and that sort of thing. There's some been some very strange things happening in my
1: house. <laughs> well, very strange, but one of the things is that you've gone into the closet and you've pulled out your piles of CDs, right?
0: I did. I found a lot of junk in there, too, because, you know, over the years, I've collected a lot of stuff from radio stations. You get a lot of promo singles and promo albums. And, you know, the guy would walk around and say, here, have seven albums that you'll never listen to again. So I had a lot of that crap. So what I did was I went out and, and, and actually bought a, a CD shelving rack. Wow. Because I had thrown my old you one bought away. bought furniture. I bought furniture to put the CDs that I was going to listen to in. And the criteria for the CDs that I wanted to keep was, I'm only going to keep this if I would actually ever listen to the CD all the way through.
1: Fair point. So no one hit wonders.
0: Right. No, like, oh, there's that third Nirvana album that isn't so great. Or, gee, I hope. I hope the third Nirvana album is, isn't a great one because... <laughs>
1: uh, but Because anyway. then we'll get lots of listeners right. who write in and complain. Right.
0: But you know what I mean? I mean, there's only like five Rolling Stones albums I want. There's only like four Beatles albums I want. There are only a handful of Bowie albums I want. So that's what I've decided to do. And then once I started thinking about that criteria, I began to realize that it's the same as it ever was. I have my medium of record... I have a stream that I can listen to, you know, someone decide what kind of music I'm going to listen to, and I can listen to that. And then I can kind of make my own mixtapes. I can make my own playlists. So let me let me give you an example, show you what I'm talking about. In 1970, I had a turntable, and I had a radio, and I had a cassette deck. And those are the three things that I was able to do. I had the the medium of record. I had the stream as the radio station, and I had a thing that I could make my own mixtapes. Now I can do the same thing. I've got CDs as the medium of record. I've got a stream as a stream where I can listen to things where music is, that may surprise and delight me or disappoint me or whatever, but it's that radio broadcast experience. And then I can make my own playlists and I can, you know, burn CDs if I wanted to of mixes and whatever, but I can have a customized uh, version as well. So I'm back to where I was when I was 11 years old. I've got the same thing. <laughs> and it's like, and I had to go through this file down. See, the file downloads probably are not really, they're they're an accessory now almost. And as much as I, I feel great attachment to my file downloads because I spent so much time and money uh, accumulating them, I kind of feel like they're a sideshow now. And like the main thing is, the ability to listen to CDs, the ability to stream and maybe make playlists from streamed stuff. Of course, I can make playlists from my own music too, my own file downloads too, but I've been doing that less lately. Anyway, because I didn't make a lot of mixtapes when I had a cassette deck.
1: Yeah, I didn't do that. I I would, you know, dub albums that people would lend me, but I rarely made mixtapes. I, I never fell into that trap. That was just too complicated.
0: Exactly. Um, I, I always felt that once I made a mixtape, I wouldn't want to listen to it again because I just listened to it. <laughs>
1: But you know well, it's I mean? not only that, you've spent so much time planning it. That lost time that you spent planning it is in your mind every time you listen to it. The only time you make a mixtape is when you want to give it to someone else. That's right.
0: And they won't listen to it. They'll, hey, can I, can I erase this mixtape you gave me? Sure. You know, that's...
1: Well, it depends. You ever see that movie Elizabethtown? Yeah, yeah. By Cameron Crowe. It's yeah. all about mixtapes. Yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes. While there are a number of Cameron Crowe films that are extraordinary, like Almost Famous, there are some that aren't very good. Elizabethtown is sort of in the middle. It's one of these things that if you get it on the right Friday night when you're feeling a bit glum, it can cheer you up. But yes, mixtapes or actually mixed CDs are a big part of that. So you've, this is like Benjamin Button here, you've gone in reverse.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, sort of. Or have I? Have it, has it always been that way? It really does seem to be this full circle sort of affair where, you know, we've had to go around through the file downloads because we had to have the music portable. So once we got through the music getting portable, now we're back to where we were again at some sort of status quo.
1: I'm trying to think of the conceptual idea that's going on here. Because when we were younger, we didn't really have control over that much music. You were 11 years old. I don't know what your allowance was. Mine wasn't very high. It was only like I had a a gig on Saturdays where I would go around and drop off these newspapers with ads in front of houses. And if it snowed, I'd go out with my snow shovel and make some bucks. So I didn't buy that many records. But now you've got this sort of gluttony of having tasted all these records, and it's totally different because you could get into a a sort of acquisitiveness of trying to replace all your favorite records that you had over the years that you bought when you were in your teens and 20s, got rid of, have on files, and now want to have again. But the difference is here: is they're filtered by experience. They're filtered by your judgment over decades.
0: I think that's very true. There are some, there are some records I just don't want to have, even though they're great. The Eagles' Greatest Hits. I don't need to own that. <laughs> I don't. I don't need to own it. Um, I don't. I probably don't even need to own Born to Run, except I do like listening to it. But I mean, this Oh, but that's a great. See album. what I'm getting at, though. It's like I'm coming. I'm thinking about these albums. The way I used to think about albums—is it important enough for me to spend my resources on and have it? And it's—and this time it's not a question of, do I have enough money to have to get quality music? Is it's—it's um, different.
1: Is it worth—is it worth it being special, more special? It, because what what you've been attracted to now is the ritual of. Pressing the button to turn on the receiver, pressing the button to turn on the CD player, opening that little drawer, <laughs> taking out the plastic disc and placing it in carefully.
0: You stand carefully. the CD up. You know? Do you do that? Do you, yeah. I leave it open like a book.
1: Well, it depends. It depends. I've got a couple here, and these are like these hardcover CDs, so they'll stand up. But some of the digipacks don't stand up. If it's like a three-disc set, you can't really stand it up. You need a stand, a proper stand.
0: Oh well, I. You I
1: know the little I iPhone and iPad stands they make. Sure. You need one of those. It won't be too wide. You could put a CD on it, and you should position that on top of your CD player so you can look at it. Yeah. I think you should be taking photos of every CD you're listening to.
0: I actually, I have been tweeting every so often if I see like a. I think I'd like to let people know that I'm listening, actually listening to this CD. I guess I, I, some people probably aren't impressed at all, but. To me, every so often when I see someone doing that and it's a record I recognize, who's the, who do I like? I like to follow Wendy Brook, who is uh, on Twitter as at Prog Rockers. And she has a, a great prog rock collection. And every so often she will say, well, this is what I'm listening to at tea time. This is what I'm listening to over breakfast and that sort of thing. And it's always some wonderful, obscure prog rock record. But she's got this beautiful collection of records, and a nice little place to play them, and it's a uh, it's delightful sort of thing. So I've been doing something similar, just, you know, sending out pictures.
1: Yeah, so what I'm trying to figure out is how do we determine, I guess what you're doing is you're trying to make a collection of your Desert Island discs, but you're not limiting yourself to 10, right? It's Yeah,
0: I guess so. The The criteria is, well, I've got those. You know, that's in the back of my head. Well, I've got that. Well, I've got London if, calling. If your I can... computer
1: crashes and the internet's down, then you've still got music. I think. Well, it's it's more than that
0: because I think I also feel there's a sense of quality about having it on CD and listening to the full album experience. I mean, one of the reasons I got new gear, one of the reasons I bought a, a an actual CD player for playing CDs, is because it doesn't make sense to me <laughs> to play CDs on my computer. Yeah. I mean, now it seems you do it, but back in the day when you when CDs first, when I first got my first iMac, the idea of playing a CD and it seemed like, oh, I don't want to do that. Really, I've got a I stereo a lot. I I didn't need to. I had a nice CD player hooked up to my stereo, so I didn't. Yeah, but I did it when I, worked. I didn't do it.
1: When I was in front of the computer. Okay, okay. That's the I thing. It, it but I worked at a radio
0: station, so right. we
1: had CD players. <laughs> yeah, were, but you see, this is a totally different. Not a you CD worked player. at a radio station. It's like if you were a short order cook, you're not going to make bacon and eggs for breakfast when you get home,
0: right? <laughs> I, I, su- I suppose not.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I get, and, and as I said, I got two CDs here, and they were my next track picks. I think last time, the Brian Eno Ja Wobble and the Brian Eno John Kale, because I haven't ripped them yet, so they're sitting on the desk. I've listened to them a few times. In the other sector of my office, which has a comfy chair and better speakers than what's on my desk, but
0: did you listen on a CD player or or through the computer? Oh, CD player. Okay, of course. That's why I said I haven't ripped them yet. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and and yeah. No, no, I haven't ripped them yet.
0: All right, you said you hadn't ripped them.
1: But see, for me, it's not about rebuying stuff that I already have. It's more about. I don't buy that many CDs anymore, and we've mentioned this in the past. I used to buy a lot of classical box sets, and I've stopped. As an There's aside, just too much as I, a
0: parenthetical aside, can you tell us about your little um, your buying and selling of CD box sets? Do you want to like talk about? Oh
1: sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've over the years I bought a lot of box sets of CDs of performers of you know artists of orchestras whatever that i really liked sometimes complete works of a composer and and so bach beethoven mozart is a big set 100 200 CDs, sometimes it's composer, like, I don't know, I'll just pick at random, uh, Ravel, I think it's 35 CDs. I- I'm a completist, I like that idea of having everything. But after a while, I get tired of them, so I list them on eBay or Amazon. And the thing about these box sets is they go out of print relatively quickly. There's not a big market for redoing a box set. For, for example, Julian Bream, the guitarist and lutenist who died recently, a box set of his complete recordings came out. Five years ago, I'm thinking it's. I think I was already in the UK and I bought it. And I, re- I loved his music when I was younger, and I listened to a fair o- amount of it. But it's not the kind of things I'm gonna really listen to a lot. So not well. I paid about a hundred pounds or a hundred euros, depending on where I bought it. And recently, I sold it for seven hundred pounds because it's out of print. Put it on. That's eBay. crazy. Yeah, that's
0: really crazy.
1: Someone in Australia bought it, so he paid the shipping and the import duties because it's out of print. It's you know these become collectibles. And there's about a dozen that I've sold like that at, you know, maybe five times what I paid minimum in the past few years.
0: You've, always, Whenever you make a significant uh, profit like that, you always tell me about it. I'm just amazed yeah. that, that the number of the limited editions that are made of these box sets...
1: Uh, they, but they're not it, limited editions. That's the thing. They're not, a limited edition means that it's numbered. We're only going to do a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. This is they do a print run or, or a press or whatever they call it, and they just don't republish it. They just don't reprint it. So it's not really limited because not the term. But the, no, the term "limited" in art has a very specific meaning. It means that it is numbered and that there will never be more. So, for example, I have the Grateful Deads. The first big box set the Grateful Dead released was the Fillmore West recordings late February, early March 1969. These these are the recordings where they had a 16-track tape recorder and recorded, I think, four concerts, which then became their album, Live Dead, released later in 1969. So, the Dead, if I'm not mistaken, they limited this to 10,000 copies. It sold out in hours. Literally ours, because this is one of the Grateful Dead Holy Grails. They can't reprint it as is because they sold it as a limited edition. Now, I haven't sold mine, but I could probably get a thousand bucks for it easily because it was originally. Sorry?
0: And it was originally how much? About 100. So that's 10 times what you paid for. Yeah,
1: but that's, that's an exceptional case because you see, they realized after that that they needed to make more copies of each thing. But when they released the Europe 72 box set, they only released 7,200 copies. And first, the website crashed. They couldn't keep up with the demand. And then it sold out in, I'm going to say 36 hours because of the time it took for the website to get back up. Uh, But they can't redo it. Now, what they can do in that one, I believe they've got a music-only edition, which is just the CDs without the fancy box. It comes in a steamer trunk, and it's got a whole bunch of tchotchkes in it. But they can't re-release it. So the limited edition means that. You can't make any more as-is. For example, artwork, photos, they're in a limited edition. I've got some photos by a photographer who makes 45 prints, no more, and... That's it, because if he didn't, he would be sort of... That's fraud, technically, if he did that. Because the value of objects like that increases because of the limitation.
0: One of the things I've noticed about buying CDs is because... And, and I haven't I haven't been buying them regularly. I think what happened is my, my CD buying went down as my file downloads went up. Although I was never averse to buying CDs. One of the things I'm finding now is a lot of these CDs are out of print. You know, you have to get the import. You have to get the German version. You have to get the Australian version. I just got a, a version of David Bowie's Low, which I didn't have. It's a Japanese version. Really? No, that's It's fine with me. The packaging is a little different and that sort of thing.
1: Did you buy it used or new?
0: I bought it new. I think huh. what I'm going to... See, now I'm going to have... This is what I'm thinking. I'm going to have to now get my head around how modern cd's how the modern cd buyer does this and so i've i've set up an account at discogs and i'm going to try to pay attention over there um but that's something i'm going to have to pay attention to i never used to have to do that because i usually bought cd's when they were new when they came out or at least you saw them in the record store for a number of years yeah. and you say i'm finally going to buy that robert fripp exposure record that's been sitting in the in the in the rack for a couple of we- for a couple of years
1: well, what's strange is low is available here for seven pounds ninety nine. That's the normal price for a CD. That's yeah. You know, it, it's not five ninety nine because no one wants it, but it's not nine ninety nine because it's recent.
0: I have to shop around. I guess is what I'm saying. I've yes. got to learn not just to jump to Amazon and just grab the first CD I see.
1: Yeah, I think that's a bit of a one of the problems is that you're gonna. There are so many listings for CDs, right? That. When you go to, because there's Amazon who sells, there's third party people who sell, there's used people who sell. So you need to be a little more careful. I'm, I'm not recommending Discogs. I've never bought anything there, but at least you're going to, there's going to be more specific information about which pressing and, because they're, they're really obsessive on Discogs.
0: That's exactly right. Um, that's what I want to find out. Um, it was something that I never paid much attention to. Uh, uh, occasionally, over the past 20 years, when, when, When physical media was sort of just something you read about, (laughs) not something that you actually owned, I would go to Discogs frequently and, you know, try to get information about when a certain album came out, what label it was on, performers that are on it. Discogs is great for that. Uh, But now I'm going to actually have to look and see, you know, what edition is it? What, uh, you know, what mastering version is it? Who, you know, is it one of the original masters? Is it a remastering? There's there's all kinds of things to take into consideration, and I don't want to have unadulterated, compromised listening experiences. I want to have the good. You know, I don't want to have a, a, a counterfeit CD from from China, uh, if I can help it.
1: Yeah. So you just mentioned Robert Fripp, and a lot of his stuff is out of print, like the League of Gentlemen stuff. I think Let the Power Fall is out of print as well. You will find a lot of out of print stuff, but it's so much easier now to buy them whether it's Discogs, Amazon, eBay, or other sources, you can buy CDs relatively easily. Um, you don't want to get too obsessive and have to get exactly this edition. But if you really need a CD, and these, some of these are things that don't even stream. The League of Gentlemen is not available streaming. There, there's a lot of stuff from that 70s music that's kind of the, not the top-tier artists, but the sort of second tier that was almost big enough, like they would have played the Palladium back then, not Madison Square Garden. And there's a lot of stuff that is out of print. On the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that's being reissued. I'm, I'm a fan of Bill Nelson, and a lot of his records have been reissued with single B-sides and and live tracks and, and all that. So th- there is this kind of sweeping up and reassembling all the sort of disparate parts that we didn't have with the album. Maybe you would buy the import single because it had a different B-side if you were really obsessive. And now all of that's available. I I look back at The Cure, right? The Cure's album Faith, I bought it on cassette because the B-side was this 30-minute instrumental called Carnage Visors, which was only available on cassette because it was too long for an LP side. And then it became really rare over the years, and then there was a re-release. I don't know the '90s or the 2000s, which included Carnage Visors, which hadn't been available for a long time.
0: I think most people expect any remastering to contain extra tracks. Now it's it's, it's Head Soup 2020, just released by the Rolling Stones, which is my least one of my least favorite Rolling Stones albums. Um, they've included you know extra songs on it, just like they did with all the other album remasters. I still haven't heard the remastered Exile on Main Street with the extra songs, because I don't want to know what those songs are.
1: Well, I was going to (laughs) say, with these extra tracks, you don't always want them. So the two Eno records I mentioned before, the, the Spinner and Wrong Way Up, it's great. They each got two extra tracks. Some years ago, Eno re-released four records from the 90s with an extra CD on each one and related in many ways. And that was great stuff. But I don't want to have a CD which has, say, Born to Run followed by six live tracks. I want it to end where it ends, right? I, I don't want—so because. So here here you're getting into the whole—the idea of continuity, right? You want to live the album as an experience. yes. You don't want to live the album as just a bunch of songs thrown together. Correct.
0: I mean, I can do that. I can listen to music that way. But the albums that I want to own, the CDs that I want to own, are those albums that it's Sunday afternoon, it's raining, I think I'll listen to David Bowie Lowe. Get up, put the disc on, you know, I go through the whole ceremony and it becomes... It becomes an album listening experience, which is something that, you know, we've talked
1: about a million times. Right. So you're looking for the experience, yeah. And and just to cite Born to Run, it's that closing fade out on Jungle Land at the end. You can't come in with, like, him singing whatever that Christmas song he did. Here comes Santa Claus, whatever. What was it? Santa Claus is coming to Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm all in favor of the integrity of the original album. And In fact, I wish there was a way that on a CD that had extra tracks, it would stop. And then you'd have to press play again to play the extra tracks yeah. if you really wanted that. I, I've actually um, thought about
0: doing that because you, I have the CD player I have is programmable. And I just said, just play the... There's no way to say... I'd have to go one, and then skip you can program
1: the, the ten tracks, and then it'll stop afterwards. That means you're doing a lot of work beforehand, but it's worth it. If you want to sit back and have that experience of Born to Run, because we, when we were talking about Exile on Main Street, we, we agreed it was kind of four suites on four sides. I think Born to Run is a classic example of that, two suites on two sides. Four songs on each one, there's, there's a narrative that's going on. The way that the, the end of the first side is Backstreets, the end of the second side, Jungle Land, those are, they, they're, they have the same sort of end of side ending, and yet the first tracks on each side, Thunder Road and Born to Run, those are just, you know, these are Start Me Up, and the other ones are like, the ones at the end are like, okay, chill now. So there is that experience that, in fact, even your CD listening for, for pre-CD recordings should be just the tracks of one side than just the tracks of another side.
0: It it should. It yes. should be written into the Constitution.
1: But, of course, there's an easier way. You have a remote control. When you get to the end of the track that ends the first side, press the button, take a break, get up, get coffee, Right. scratch a cat, right. and then come back. Do all the things.
0: Yep. Just like the old days. Well, we'll see. But anyway, that, I thought I'd want to report on that because I thought it was important to point out those three types of things that we like to have our music with. And I thought it was interesting that we, uh,
1: Are you planning on buying a lot of Frank Zappa? I know you're a Zappa Uh, fan. We never discussed Zappa. I've always wanted to do a show about Zappa because I really don't know his music and you never want to do it.
0: Um, uh, it's such a broad topic that it's really difficult to talk about Frank in one particular, uh, not that we're going to talk about it now, but yeah, I suppose I'm going to be buying some, some Frank CDs. I thought it, Here's another funny thing, and this will be the last thing because we've got to get onto our next tracks. But um, I thought I had way more CDs than I did, because I'm so used to seeing them in my iTunes music app library. There's a whole bunch of. Uh, I thought I had way more XTC albums. For some reason, I, I thought I had Black Sea and English Settlement, which are, I think are two classic albums. I always make sure I have them. I don't have the CDs, so but know you happened.
1: got burglarized, right?
0: Well, yes, that's true. Yes. Um, I had a CD collection that was absconded with when our house was broken into. And so except for a few albums that I had with me at the radio station, personal albums that I had with me, uh, hundreds of albums were were stolen from me. So a lot of that memory comes from that collection, which was over 30 years ago, over 25 years ago. Uh, But so... I've got a lot of CDs to buy, which is very exciting. I'm actually very excited about that. Before we get to our next track picks, I want to remind you that we do have a Patreon page. It's where listeners who appreciate us can give us 2 or $3 a month to keep us going. Because we're ad-free, we don't want to have sponsors, and we don't want to have to go through all that rigmarole just to keep the thing afloat when we can just ask you, and it's just as well or better. So just visit patreon.com slash track 2 or $3 a month is all you need to give, and that'd be great. Kirk, what have you got for your next track?
1: This week, I've been going back to some music that I haven't listened to. in. Every time I say this, it's like I'm getting really old, because this is music I listened to just shy of 40 years ago. A Certain Ratio. Do you know A Certain Ratio? Yes. Great band, factory records band, the... The name comes from? Uh,
0: the Brian Eno song. is uh, Looking for a certain, certain ratio. Uh, yeah, uh, the song's uh, called uh, The, the uh, True here Wheel. Here we go.
1: The song's called The True Wheel on Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy. A Certain Ratio is one of those bands who I was at a record store, and I saw this thing, and I saw factory records, and I said, I'm going to buy this. It was a cassette called The Graveyard in the Ballroom, and it came in a number of colors, and it was in this kind of pouch, much bigger than a cassette, and there was like a paper insert. If you, I'll put a link in the show notes. If you go to Wikipedia, you'll see what it looks like. I have the blue one, but Wikipedia shows the orange one. And I really like this stuff. It's not the typical factory sound. It's not the lugubrious Joy Division or the sort of magical Derudy column stuff. It's this sort of dissonant, angry, funk disco, a weird combination. And so I hadn't listened to them for a long time. Complicated history of the band breaking up, getting back together. But they are back together. They released a retrospective box set in 2019. And so what I've been listening to lately is called ACR Set, a-C-R colon S-E-T It is 73 minutes It's a bunch of tracks from different times in their careers It starts with one which is from the graveyard in the ballroom And I don't know when the other ones were from It's just a sound that is it, It's so different than that post-punk Manchester sound of the time And yet it really does sound like Just a different neighborhood in Manchester in some ways There's something, and and there's another band that I'll maybe bring up in the future, which is Cabaret Voltaire. And Cabaret Voltaire was more experimental, but they had a similar type of sound with this sort of strong beat funk music. Anyway, certain ratio, cool music. Check it out. They've got a bunch of stuff on Apple Music. They've got this box set. And you can even stream The Graveyard in the Ballroom, although it's very different from the experience of listening to it on a cassette tape. And and see, I'm worried about you, Doug, that you're going to go into cassette tapes now.
0: I do have a cassette player with a CD player in it, so look out, stand back, if I can fire it up. Um, You like uh, Chicago, you like early Chicago, right? Yeah, the first three albums, great stuff. First three albums. You may remember that back at that time, there were a lot of jazz rock bands. There was uh, the Blood, Sweat & Tears, and Chicago Transit Authority, and um, Electric Flag, and Pacific Gas and Electric and Mandrill. And there were all these big horn bands. Mm. And I liked them a lot. Um, In fact, later on when I was in high school, I met up with other kids from other high schools and they all like big jazz rock bands. So it was kind of cool. But anyway, a band I never heard of has been showing up in my Apple Music playlist called The Flock. Now, I have never heard of The Flock. They recorded two albums in 1970 and then fell apart. And they're essentially a big jazz rock band but their uh their specialty is they had a violinist uh a- a- as one of the uh, as one of the primary instruments and these songs kept popping up in apple music and i'm thinking what the heck is that because it sounds like uh like a prog rock band they sound like a uh they, they reminded me a lot of mogul thrash now i know that's a band that a lot of people don't know but that's a british sort of a prog- one of john wetton's first bands they had horns in the band, did, like, these jazz riffs. But then that's what this band does. They, um, the album I'm going to listen to, by the way, is called Dinosaur Swamps. It's their second record. They just use a lot of jazz riffs, and then they do these crazy country sort of breaks because they've got the violin, but they can also do classical sort of breaks. So it's this weird progressive sound. They never caught on. They didn't have a hit. I've never seen these albums in record stores, never saw them at a radio station or anything. But the the records are quite compelling. I'd say about seventy five percent of the stuff on there is worth giving it a listen to. Uh, that big band jazz rock early early Chicago sort of sounding stuff, but just
1: slightly wacky with the with the violin. So very interesting, very interesting stuff. It's interesting what Wikipedia says that the violinist Jerry Goodman. Rumors at the time had Columbia Records' Clive Davis raiding the flock and recruiting Goodman for the Mahafishnu Orchestra project. Apparently, jazz violinist Jean-Luc Ponty was guitarist band leader John McLaughlin's first choice, but the U.S. government denied him a work permit visa. John luc Ponty. Yeah.
0: That's weird. And Jean-Luc Ponty played with Frank Zappa, so everything is like, you know, two degrees of... <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, Jerry Goodman, that name rings a bell, but Jerry Goodman... I mean, he also sounds like any lawyer, so I don't know. I don't really know. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, better call better Jerry. Better Jerry. So I don't know. But Jerry Goodman <laughs> apparently was, uh, was good. Th- these albums are good. Both of them are quite good. But uh, the one I'm going to listen to is uh, the second one, Dinosaur Swamps by The Flock. This was episode number 192 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit TheNextTrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at NextTrackCast. And don't forget, you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit Patreon.com slash TheNextTrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.